Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. And because we're in between books, uh, we're doing a topical discussion today, Bible teaching. Um, and the topic is the biblical role of a parent. Biblical role of a father, biblical role of a mother. And before I start, I just want to preface this message with a couple of things. Um, it's a little bit of a controversial topic that we'll be talking about. I'm going to be talking about it in the context of Kenya, because we are here in Kenya, but this message applies to all the countries around the world. The same thing happens, um, it just looks a little bit different. A second thing is just, um, I encourage you, let the Word of God speak to you in this message. If th things may sound like countercultural, um, counter to how you've been raised, um, maybe difficult to do practically, let the Word of God just speak to you and, and you be convicted by Him. So the reason why I've decided to teach on this is through different discussions that I've had with different people here about how the role of fathers and mothers are seen in Kenya. And I know this isn't all of your opinion, um, but I think it would be fair to say that for the majority of Kenyans, a good father would be seen as someone who provides for his family. And that is irrespective of whether he's around, um, if he has maybe a drinking problem, if he even has multiple wives or families, as long as there's food on the table and as long as the, the children have their school fees paid for, then he's a good father. And for mothers, mothers are generally seen as good mothers in Kenya. If they raise the family, raise the children, um, make sure that the children have everything they need, cook dinner, basically to be the one running the household. But what I want to look at is what the Bible says about each of these roles. So before we get into it, let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask again that you will speak to us through your word, that you will show us things that we haven't maybe seen before or that haven't convicted us as strongly as they should have before. Help us to soften our hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll be starting from verse 4 to verse 9. And the responsibility of a parent that we're going to read about here is teaching your children the word of God, which I believe is the main responsibility that God has given us as parents. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So just to give you a bit of context about this, this is Moses calling all Israel together to gather before him, and he's doing a review of the law. Just before this, he reviewed the Ten Commandments with them, and then he reviewed the, what's known as the greatest command, which we just read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And then this is what he says to them immediately after them. Look closely in verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So what we can see in this verse is that God has actually appointed every father and every mother as the Bible teachers of their own children. The Bible doesn't say leave Bible teaching of your children to Sunday school teachers or to school teachers or to other family members or to nannies. It says you shall teach them diligently to your children. It is our responsibility as parents. And it says there in verse seven as well, to do so diligently. Diligently means consistently. It means thoroughly. And it means well. And to do something diligently, it requires time. It requires you to invest your time in that task. So what this is actually telling us is that as parents, we need to give our children our time to be able to teach them the Word of God. Because how can you teach your children the Word of God consistently if you are not consistently with them? How can you teach your children the Word of God thoroughly if you are not repeating it to them and keep showing them new things in it? You have to be with your children to be able to do that. And verse seven continues to even give us examples of how to do this within our household with the expectation that obviously we are in the household to do these things. It says, you shall talk of them, so talk of God's commands, talk of God's word, when you sit in your house. For example, that could be when you're sitting at the dinner table, having dinner together as a family. You are to talk about God's word as you fellowship with your family in the evening. Or maybe you sit in the lounge after the day and, and talk about things. It goes on to give other examples. When you walk by the way, this could be when you're walking from one place to another with your children. We are to talk to our children about God's commands as we walk from one place to another, or maybe in today's day, as we drive from one place to another. When you lie down, when you rise up, that's when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning. The thing that it's trying to show us is that we consistently need to teach our children the Word of God in our everyday lives. And all of these things can only be achieved if we are actually around our children for significant periods of time. In Kenya, um, there's quite a common practice of sometimes sending our children away, maybe to grandparents in the village, and this can be for long periods of time, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, sometimes for half a childhood. Now, there could be reasons for this which are, are valid and have a good argument. For example, you could be in a very tough scenario where maybe you've had a child as a teenager um, and you need to finish school, or maybe you're in university and, and you need to finish university. 
Uh, I'm not saying that that's definitely okay, but there could be a good argument. Let the Lord lead you on that. But other times, we just send our children away because it's more convenient or it's cheaper for us. And I don't think that that is going to enable us to fulfill what the Bible is teaching us here. To be able to teach our children the Word of God consistently, we can't do that. Deuteronomy um, chapter 32, you don't have to turn there, but Moses continues to make this point to the Israelites, and this is just before, his, before he dies. This is like his parting words to the nation of Israel. He says, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. So what this is actually saying is that the word of God and teaching your children the word of God is actually your life. It is your children's lives, it is your life. A futile thing is something which is not worth doing, not worth pursuing. Here Moses is saying it is not a futile thing because it is your life. I want to give you an analogy of how important God's word is to us as adults and also to our children. So when I was growing up in South Africa, probably around the age of eight or nine, I, I had a friend and I went to his house one day and we decided to take out bicycles and go on a bike ride. And he had two bicycles. One of them had brakes and the other one didn't have any brakes. And he gave me the one that didn't have any brakes. And he warned me, don't start going down a hill, there's no brakes on this bicycle, it won't end well. But we, we went along anyway, and we got to the top of a hill and I started going down, down the hill, uh, and I, I kind of froze, I didn't know what to do. So the bicycle just kept going and going and going faster and faster, and this hill was probably about 200 or 300 meters long. So you can imagine how fast the bicycle was going. And at the bottom of the hill, it was actually the end of the road. There was just a wooden fence and then the beach it was um, along the coast. And if I had crashed into that wall, I could have seriously, seriously injured myself, probably broken my back or broken my neck. But somehow there was a guy at the bottom who stood in the way and, and he actually caught the bicycle by the handlebars and it really it even knocked him back because I'd been coming so fast and he probably saved my life. And you might be wondering, what's this got to do with teaching your children the word of God? A bicycle has three important things. It has brakes, it has the steering wheel, and it also has the pedals that you push on. And I believe the word of God is like that as well. Sometimes we are in a, or on a path or in a situation which requires us to press on the brakes. It requires us to not go further down that path. And that is what the Word of God teaches our children and us to do. The Word of God is also like the steering wheel of a bicycle. It allows us to turn out of situations or down paths that we don't need to be on. Uh, near the top of the hill, I could have just turned really sharply and I would have fallen, but it wouldn't have been as bad as it could have been. But, but I didn't do that. And the Word of God shows us when we need to do that in life. And then the Word of God is also like the pedals of a bicycle. 
Sometimes we are already in a situation which we then need to get out of. Maybe it's a situation of temptation. We need to start peddling and getting out of there because that is what the Bible refers to as giving the devil a foothold. So the Word of God is what does that. It's what reminds us of how we are to live our lives. The Word of God is there for our own good. It's there for our children's good. It helps keep us on the right track. It helps to sustain us on the right track. And if you really think about it, it's actually the thing that will one day help you to be counted worthy of receiving eternal life. The Bible is the thing that leads us in that direction as we seek to obey the Lord and commit our lives to him. So teaching your children to obey the word of God is actually a matter of life and death, both on this earth as well as in eternity. And as I mentioned already, to really teach your children the word of God, you have to be around them. You have to give them your time. You cannot do that from Nairobi while your children are living in Eldoret. You need to be around them in the household, discipling them, showing them the way. The next biblical responsibility I want to talk about is disciplining your children. Most of you will probably be very familiar with this verse in Proverbs. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Again, how do you do this if you are not with your children? How do you discipline your, your children from afar? You won't understand the scenario that is requiring discipline. You won't understand how your child is feeling, what's led up to that point. You also, if you are not living with your child for significant periods of time, you probably won't have the best relationship with them so that when you need to discipline them, the discipline will be not very well received. If you are not with your child and then suddenly you come back home after several months and then discipline your child, your child is probably not going to like that very much. If you look at the end of this verse, it says, <clears throat> disciplines him promptly. Disciplining a child promptly means disciplining without delay. You have to discipline your child right after the event has happened that requires discipline. Then they will be able to understand the need for the discipline. You can't discipline them you know, weeks or months after the thing has happened. And we get a sense of how important discipline is to God <clears throat> through the qualifications that he requires of anybody who wants to become a pastor, or um, the Bible calls it a bishop. And the reason why I mention this is because obviously pastors and bishops are the kinds of people that everybody in church looks to for an example and looks to their home and their household and their family life as their example. So God gives this command because he wants to make sure that those who have been put in those places have households and family lives that are worthy of being an example to the rest of the church. So this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. A bishop is one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So here we see very clearly that the Lord desires for fathers to take responsibility 
for the discipline of their children. Not being in your household, not leading your household, makes it very difficult for you to do that. Just as a pastor can't pastor his church from afar, neither can a father father his children from afar. A pastor has to feed his church with the word of God. He has to tend his church, looking after their needs. In the same way, a father also has to feed his children with the word of God, continually, regularly. He also has to feed his children physically. He has to tend his children, looking after their needs. You cannot do that from 300 kilometers away. But in today's world, discipline is often um, painted in a very negative way, with many negative stigmas attached to it. The world is now trying to tell us that any kind of physical discipline is child abuse or is cruel. In the UK, for example, if you spank your child and the authorities find out, you will probably be arrested. And many people have been arrested and charged for disciplining their children. Even today, some forms of non-physical discipline are frowned upon. The world does not really want our children to be disciplined. The world wants children to be free and independent and to figure things out for themselves. But that is the way of the world. That is not how we are taught in the Bible. Let us look at Proverbs 13, 24 again. It says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I believe the Bible is clear that at times physical discipline is required and is actually a godly form of parenting. It is not for us to reinterpret this proverb or this scripture according to how the world is telling us to do discipline or according to how we may feel. And the world is calling evil good and good evil. What I mean by this is the world is calling a lack of discipline, allowing your children to figure things out for themselves as good, and the world is calling loving biblical discipline as evil. It's calling it abuse. And the world does this with other things as well. The world calls homosexuality good, but the union between a man and a woman, which God created and ordained himself, the world is calling that evil. Or abortion, the world is calling abortion as good, but protecting the life of an innocent child, the world is now saying that, that is evil. Even as we speak right now, thousands of people are marching to the White House in America to protest for abortion rights. You've probably seen what's happening in America. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the authority in our lives? Is it what the world is saying is good and what is right? Or is it what the Bible tells us every time we open the Bible? Again, in Proverbs 13, 24, it actually says, if you do not discipline your child, you hate your child. That means not disciplining your child is actually wishing evil on your child. It also means, on the other hand, but if you do discipline your child, you are loving them because the opposite of hate is love and the opposite of not disciplining is disciplining. 
So disciplining your child is actually loving them. And Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12 confirms this. The Bible says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So here we see that discipline is actually all about love. Even the Lord disciplines and corrects us. It is for our own good. What's very interesting is that even from a psychological point of view, children actually crave discipline. Children who grow up in undisciplined households feel unwanted and unloved. And that is because children actually crave our attention as parents, even if that attention um, involves showing them the boundaries, showing them what is right and wrong, disciplining them. Children who are not disciplined will grow up with no boundaries in their lives, will become rebellious, and they'll actually feel unwanted and unloved. Such children also actually often suffer with authority issues. They do not respect authority because their own parents weren't ever an authority to them. So they will also not respect teachers, they won't respect older adults, they even won't respect the authority of God in their lives. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. The implication of what this is saying is very heavy. It says if you do not discipline your children, you are actually a willing party to their death. <clears throat> Not a negligent party, but a willing party to their death. If your child dies unsaved, they will spend eternity in hell. But if you disciplined your child as you ought to have, and if they become saved through discipling them and teaching them the word of God, then you may have played a role in them spending eternity in heaven. So it really is a matter of life and death. The next biblical role of a parent that I'd like to talk about is not provoking your children. And this goes hand in hand with discipline that we have just been reading about. Although discipline is absolutely crucial, it must be balanced with love. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So if discipline is not balanced with love, children may grow up resentful. They may be really discouraged. They may even start harboring anger towards you as their parent. And discipline is a painful thing to go through. No one likes going through it. Even us as adults, we don't like being corrected. It is difficult for us to accept correction, and often we reject it. And the Bible talks about this in Hebrews 12:11. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what's really important is that we show our children the need for the discipline that it is for their own good. It's because we want them to produce a harvest of righteousness. We want them to be trained up 
to be godly men and women. So if our children see that we only discipline them when there's really a need for discipline, and if we are spending time with them, loving them, encouraging them, caring for them, looking after their needs, most of the time, except for when very specific scenarios come about needing discipline, they will probably react much better to that discipline and they will see that it is for their own good. In Colossians 3.21 says something very similar to Ephesians uh, chapter six. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And there's another sense of how we can provoke our children that I want to talk to you about, which has nothing to do with discipline, but it's actually about the kind of family life and the atmosphere that we have at our home. And I'm going to give you an example. It's a real life example of three pastors who have real ministries and who have been ministering to many people for many years and have been used very effectively. So one pastor spent an average of 10 months away from his family every year for 15 years. He led thousands of people to Christ, but his eldest daughter committed suicide and his marriage ended in divorce. Another pastor was famous for his preaching ability and he constantly traveled all over the US and around the world, accepting invitations to speak wherever he went. One of his sons grew up to become one of the first public figures to unashamedly declare his homosexuality and rejection of the Christian faith. The final pastor was an incredibly gifted evangelist. He faithfully preached the gospel to his dying day. And his wife was his secretary. She was the one in charge of all his speaking appointments and engagements, and she actually traveled around with him wherever he went. They had four children who were raised by a nanny since a very young age um, because the, the mother was traveling with her father. And one of this man's dying regrets was that none of his sons would have anything to do with Christianity. So the way that each of these children were provoked was through neglect by their father uh, and in one case by their father and their mother. Now some people could say, but these men did like what the Bible says, they left everything behind. They made a lot of sacrifices. Um, they were willing to do whatever it took to lead many people to salvation. Um, but really, is that consistent with the character of God? We know that God uh, is Abba to us, he's father to us. We know that he has a tender heart towards us like a father does to a child. He even calls us his children. So is it really the Lord's will for us to neglect our children, neglect our wives, neglect our families? You could also ask what about Luke 14, 26, which is where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Or what about where God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Starting with Abraham and Isaac, in that chapter, uh, Genesis 22, we are told in the very first verse that God was testing Abraham. 
And that was proved because God didn't actually allow Abraham to kill his son when he was just about to. What God really wanted to find out was, was he number one in Abraham's life? He didn't want um, Abraham to sacrifice his son. That is what the, the pagan religions were doing in the time, doing child sacrifice. The same thing um, with Luke 14. This is the same thing that Jesus wants to find out. He wants to find out, is he our priority in our life? Are we willing to make sacrifices and take difficult decisions in order to further um, the kingdom of God? He's not telling us to neglect our wives because he tells us to love our wives. He's not telling us to neglect our father and mothers because the Bible also tells us to honor our father and mothers. He's not telling us to neglect our children because the Bible also says children are a gift from God. So that's, that's not what he's saying. He just wants to know whether he comes first in your life. D.L. Moody once said, I believe the family was established long before the church and that my duty is to my family first. I am not to neglect my family. It would be very ironic if you spent your whole life discipling people all over the world only for your own children to be undiscipled and unsaved. And what's very interesting is we're actually told by Paul in the New Testament that the apostles took their wives with them wherever they went, wherever they ministered. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, um, Paul says, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Peter? So this is telling us that those apostles who were married actually took their wives along with them wherever they went to minister. And so did the brothers of the Lord, people like uh, James and Jude, and also Peter, Peter actually traveled around with his wife and probably with his children as well. So I want to talk about a scenario in Kenya um, which is, is difficult, but we need to see how we can obey God best in such a scenario. So this is where you get a job in a different location to where your family are. Um, often your employer may give you a house, but it's only for you and there's not enough space for your family. And the county government does this a lot. There's some county government houses here in town where only the, the person employed can stay, but the families can't come with. So what are you supposed to do in a situation like that? Well, I would suggest, um, if possible, that you try to get your own accommodation that can accommodate your family. Even if it means that you're gonna take a hit financially, it's worth doing that because then you can be there for your family and disciple your family, teach your children the word of God, discipline your children. We've just seen you really need to be around your children in order to be the kind of father and mother that the Bible asks us to be. And don't just do that so you can disciple your children, so you can love your wife as we're commanded to, but it would actually be very unwise to live away from your family for a significant period of time. That is a situation which is giving the devil a foothold. No matter how strong we think we are, if we live away from our wives and from our children for many months, 
It is a very dangerous situation. It is giving the devil a foothold. And that's one of the scenarios um, where I was talking about the bicycle pedals. That's one way you need to get out of that situation. But maybe that's not possible. Maybe you can't afford to get your own place. Maybe you have a number of children, you can't just move them schools, you can't just get a big house um, in a city like Eldoret. Maybe that's just not going to be financially possible or not practical. So what do you do then? I think you have to ask yourself this question. If my wife and I and my children were to die next week, would it have all been worth it for the sake of the job, for the sake of a little bit more money? Would my children have been discipled by me? Would my children be saved? Would my wife be saved? Would I be saved? I think that you would all agree with me that we are each personally called to fulfill the Great Commission, right? You may be wondering how that fits in. But what's at the heart of the Great Commission is making disciples. And that even starts within our own homes. We need to disciple our own children. You don't need to sell everything and move to China and become a missionary to disciple other people. If you did that, that would be wonderful. It would be great if you took your family with you especially. But you can actually fulfill the Great Commission even just in your own household as your starting point. And that starts with spending time with your family being there for your children, discipling them in the way of the Lord. The next biblical responsibility I want to talk about is leading your family and doing so by example. And this goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about. This is effectively discipleship. Discipleship is when you spend large amounts of time with someone, following their example, seeing how they live their lives, and learning from them. We need to lead our families in discipleship. We need to teach our children the Word of God. Our children need to see us studying the Word of God for ourselves. That is the example we want to show them. We need to pray together with our children, with our wives, as a family. Let your children see you praying on your own or praying with your wife. That is the example that you are giving them. Take your family with you to church. This is another situation that I want to talk about that I'm encouraging you to just let the Word of God speak to you above your, what your feelings may be or maybe how you've been shown how to do things when you were a child. But there's a very strange situation in many churches around the world, it happens everywhere, but even in this church, where many families do not attend church together. Sometimes the husband comes, but the wife is at home with the kids. Other times the wife comes, uh, but the husband is having a drink with his friends or he doesn't feel like coming to church on Sunday, he wants to rest from the week. Sometimes the parents come together and the children are left at home. Other times parents bring children but the children refuse to go to children's ministry, so the parents are outside or in the foyer with the child and not listening to the word of God. No, we need to 
lead in our families to make sure that we attend church. Parents need to sit in the sanctuary and listen to the word being taught. Children need to sit in Sunday school and learn the word of God. Wives, you need to come to Wisdom for Women and husbands, encourage your wives to do that. And any of your, your daughters who may be old enough to attend. Men, um, sons and fathers, you need to attend the men's ministry. Iron sharpens iron. As the leader of the family, you need to make sure that you are leading by example and making sure that these things happen. In the men's ministry, the average age of those who attend is in the low 20s. The older men in church are not attending. There's maybe one or two men who are above 30 in our iron sharpens iron. The older men don't want to disciple the younger men in this church. The same with the ladies' ministry. It's mostly the young people in this church. As the older people in this church, we need to lead by example. We need to be there to disciple not only our own children, but also be there for other younger people in church. Joshua showed us um, a good example for taking ownership of how his family um, do life together. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So as long as his children were living in his house with him, he was going to make sure that they were taught the word of God, that they would pray together, that they would serve the Lord together. He took that responsibility of leading his household upon himself. He didn't leave it up to anyone else. He didn't leave it up to the local priest. He didn't leave it up to the teachers of the children. He didn't leave it up to another family member who he thought maybe was more holy than he was or she was. He ensured that he himself would be personally responsible for making sure that his children are taught the word of God and that they as a family would obey it together. So after you do all these things we've been talking about, teaching your children the word of God, disciplining your children, making sure they are not provoked, leading your family by example, make sure that you yourself actually lead in your everyday actions, lead by example. James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Your children are constantly watching you. They are copying your behavior. Whether you like it or not, they are going to be, at least to some extent, a version of what you were to them as they grow up. So we are constantly training up our children. And I think this is why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are constantly training our children in the way they should go. The question is just, what are we training them in? So as I call up the worship team, please, as leaders of your families and of your households, whether you are the single mother, whether you are the father, whether you are married, leading a family, um, as a married couple, keep a spiritual environment in your home. It is your responsibility to make sure that happens. Monitor behavior and attitude changes in your children. 
Monitor what your children are doing. Monitor what your children are watching. Do you know on YouTube, you can pretty much find a video on anything in all the world. YouTube is full of pornography. It's full of people fighting each other. You can even find videos of people committing suicide, videos of people taking drugs, satanic videos, witchcraft. Even those videos which we think are relatively okay are often full of very sexually suggestive material, which is most music videos these days. Do you know that Facebook is also full of pornography? Full of videos of people slandering each other and making fun of each other, which is supposed to be our entertainment. It's full of videos of things promoting um, things like binge drinking, promoting homosexuality. We just had um, Gay Pride Month last month. The whole world was going crazy promoting homosexuality. Instagram is even worse than Facebook because what it actually does is promotes a very ungodly and unhealthy self-image. We are very preoccupied about posting pictures of, ourse of ourselves which make us feel good about ourselves. We even have competition with other people. People even commit suicide because they feel like they are not having the image or people are not seeing them in the way that they want to be seen. Instagram is full of a twisted form of self-worth and self-centeredness. So the question is, do you just allow your children to watch or to do on your phone or on their own phones whatever they want to do? I've seen many parents in restaurants, they just give their phone to their child to entertain themselves. They can just do whatever they want, watch whatever they want. Do you allow your children to go and sit in a cyber for the day just to go on YouTube? Do you know what they're watching? Do you know what they're doing? Do you leave your children at home? Sometimes maybe you have to because you go to work, but your children can just watch whatever comes up on TV. Do you know what's gonna come up on TV? We live in a world that is full of immorality and ungodliness. It is our full and complete responsibility as parents to take charge in leading our families to obey God's word and to disciple them. And the last biblical responsibility I just want to quickly touch on is providing for your children. First Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So those men who impregnate women and who then disappear, the Bible actually calls you worse than an unbeliever. Because if a child has your DNA in it, then that child is your own. We just read, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is a very heavy condemnation. It has ramifications that are relevant for eternity for you. So as I summarize, we have seen that teaching your children the word of God is their life. It is a matter of life and death to them. Disciplining your children 
is loving them, not hating them. Making sure your children are not provoked is tending for them and caring for them. And leading by example is discipling them. Providing for them is what a godly father and mother is expected to do. Four out of these five things, the first four things I talked about, all require you to spend significant time with your children and with your families. It is not possible to do them from afar. So please consider for yourself whether you are personally fulfilling the Great Commission in your own household. Are you discipling your very own children, teaching them the way of the Lord? Are you doing this so that you can glorify God together as a family? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we know that your word is often counter to what we see around us. It is counter to what the world is telling us to do. It is counter to many cultures. Often it is hard to, to do these things. We have to make sacrifices. But we know that our decisions have effects that last to eternity. We know that these are our children's lives at stake. Our children are depending on us as their parents to teach them your word and to disciple them and to discipline them, to lead them in the right way. We ask that you will soften our hearts to see if there are areas that we need to take up stronger leadership in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718 0-1-2-4-9-6. See you next time.